Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f*** we want. Welcome back to another episode of the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. Today we have a Kinja in the house. We got J.D. McElroy. JD has worked in the LA commercial dance industry. He's pretty much worked with every major artist that you could probably think of from B2K, Usher, Chris Brown, Beyonce, and that's just the beginning. He is also a co-founder of Hashtag Lunchbag. JD's done a lot. He's pretty much done everything that any aspiring dancer in the dance industry would try to accomplish in their career. He's done it all. He started it at a very young age. We, we talked about his roots from finding his way from Colorado all the way to L.A. Uh, it's a crazy journey and uh, driven by ambition and, as he puts it, right place, right time. But it's cool to see just uh, the, I guess, the evolution of J.D. from the young, ambitious kid who came out here to pursue dance to the man that he is today. Uh, we talked a lot about um, his daughter being born and, and just how a lot of that kind of shifted um, his perspective in life and his um, and drive and goals and things of that nature. I think we go pretty deep in this one, and I think there's a lot of courage and power in being vulnerable. And I think uh, I just really appreciated this conversation because I think it's a talk that JD and I have had in this conversation that we've never had before. And it's just really real. Um, and just seeing where, where he's at now and what's pushing him uh, with things like hashtag lunch bag and just where he's at individually as a man and things that he's really trying to push and emphasize what he teaches at the dojo and in the beginners hip-hop class to just everything that he's learned and grown himself to be mentality wise is really put into everything that he's doing now so um, a really good talk always fun lightning around at the end i think this one's a little bit deep so um let's just be ready for that but still a really really good one so let's get into it welcome back to another episode of the kinja's podcast movement in the shadows i'm your host ben and we got Mike Fowl back doing all the techie stuff. And today, folks, we got a Kinja in the house. We have J.D. McElroy. What up? in here. What's up, J.D.? What up, what up? So J.D. is a co-founder of Hashtag Lunchbag. Yep. We're going to get into that. You guys are doing some really cool stuff. And um, J.D.'s also just uh, a, a commercial industry vet. He was that tall Asian guy in, in every cool music video and tour <laughs> That you guys probably saw back in the day, at least for me. I was growing up uh, watching all that stuff. And uh, you've been doing you've been doing your thing for a minute, man. And, oh yeah. Uh, you know, you're still you're still doing stuff. Um, but yeah, just for the sake of uh, our, our listeners who may not know a little bit of your background, um, can you give us a little bit of where you grew up? Um, and then how you moved out to LA, did the whole dance thing. Yeah. Um, so the whole backstory. Um, I was born in Korea. Um, I was born and then I was adopted uh, by a family when I was two and a half. And so I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, 303 representing. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up there um, just kind of like a, a, a pretty normal adopted American growing up in an all-white community okay. uh, vibe. So my parents had uh, my sister. My mom wasn't able to have kids anymore. So I came first, and I was the youngest. And then my sister came. She's half black, half Korean. She came. She's actually the oldest, so she came when she was 11 years old. 
and I was five, and then my brother came last, and he was seven, and I was six. And so kind of I'm the youngest, but I'm also kind of the oldest. Okay. Um, and I grew up playing sports and then uh, found dance like in high school when I was like 15. How did you find dance? Um, a buddy of mine took me to underage nightclubs. So they used to have these clubs where it was like, Anywhere between the ages 16 and 21. If you're over 21, they didn't let you in. Mm -hmm. And they had like a full bar that was like all virgin drinks and then, you know, just a full dance club. And so I started going there and it was like the first time that girls were like, oh, who's this guy? Yeah. Yeah. And it was like the first time I first started dancing (laughs) was like, what am I doing? I don't know, but had a little bit of movement. And then it was just like, oh, okay. So did you have kind of a natural ability without any training lessons you were just kind of For able sure. to kind of have it a natural sort yeah of it was just like one of those nights where i went out and i was like you know just mocking what everybody else was doing yeah and people were like okay yeah you got something and i i had no idea what it was yeah but i knew that girls <laughs> were digging it and so story for all of us man then i was like i'm <laughs> digging it yeah yeah. Uh, so where, when did you actually start getting some actual training in? Um, it wasn't until a little bit later. So uh, I took a class. Um, a buddy of mine was like, hey, let's take a dance class. I took a class and it was just flames. I went down. It was horrible. <laughs> um, it was this lady named Lorraine Heinz from uh, San Francisco. Okay. And I remember like we were all in the back trying to pick up the choreography and it just was one of those things where I just could not pick anything up, like not even two counts. Yeah. And so I was just in the back like, ah, oh, this is this is not what I want to do. So yeah. um, there was this like kind of after school program where a buddy of mine had like a warehouse and we would just go afterward, play music and kind of just like share moves. And it was just more like a freestyle kind of kind of get down. Yeah. Um, but through that, like teaching each other and showing moves was kind of the first time I was starting to learn how to put stuff together. Mm-hmm. And um, he lived in L.A., tried to kind of make it out in L.A. and came back to Colorado to start this like after school program. And then he started a, a nonprofit that turned into a studio, which ended up being uh, Motion Underground. OK. And so we were kind of like the first kids student teachers for that studio yeah. slash crew slash all of that. Um, at that time, and so I was like uh, 16, 15, 16 years old okay. during that time. Yeah. And then, uh, so you're still in high school. And still then in high school, yeah. You finish high school. Did you do any college? I didn't do college. So okay. I did um, a summer. It was like kind of like the four students that he had. Yeah. We did like a small trip to Los Angeles. Got and you. so this was going into my junior year in high school. So we came out to L.A. We took some classes at the Edge. Um, and there was a bunch of teachers there that were like, hey, man, like, you're you're really good. Uh-huh. Like, you should move out to L.A. And at that time, I didn't really understand what that meant. Like, mm. um, I didn't realize that you could make a career out of dance. Got it. And so for me, that was the first time where I was like, oh, shit, this is something I could do. Yeah. And so that was when I was like, oh, let me take this a little bit more seriously. Um, started taking a lot more classes just back in Colorado mm-hmm. uh, for that next year and so when I graduated high school um, horrible student barely graduated mm-hmm. um, was kind of like one of those things where it was like I, I need to get to LA like this is something I'm passionate about now mm-hmm. I found this like new love for dance and you know um, like I need to get to LA yeah 
Um, so was it off of like all the, the, the teachers that you were taking class from that kind of gave you that boost of confidence that you felt like maybe this is something I can pursue? Yeah. I mean, it was, so going to the clubs, it was like a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. we would go to the clubs and people were like from out of town were like, yo, you got to battle this Asian kid. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's crazy nice. Yeah. And so that was kind of like the big thing. And, um, you know, the, the, the classes wasn't really my forte it wasn't what i wanted to do or was really i was good at Mm -hmm. and so um it wasn't i didn't take class seriously but it was just something that i was using as like a stepping stone to get better but i was never a class kid Mm. and so um there was like a time period when you know we were supposed to take jazz classes and ballet classes and Mm -hmm. i was like I'm not trying to do all that. Yeah. So that was never really like the avenue that I wanted to go down. But when I took the classes in LA and the teachers like kind of like were like, yo, if you work at this, like you could mm-hmm. come out here and work. Yeah. Um, that's when I kind of was like, okay, let me let me try at least to get to that place where I can pick up choreography in a right. class or, or an audition or whatever it may be. And so uh, that first LA trip, you're, you say you're around 15, 16 years old. Yep. And you still had school to finish, though, right? You yeah. Still, so you went back I mean, to Colorado. I, was, I mean, yeah, I was I was the worst student ever. I was really just like it was social. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, my senior year it was like just to graduate. I was had to like make up, you know, like forty five credits, yeah. which is like basically two years. Uh-huh. So I was taking full eight eight classes a day plus night school. Um, my counselors ended up giving me credits for dancing as well. Yeah. So like if I took class, get signed. You know, they yeah. didn't credit barely, barely like I found out Thursday that I was actually going to get to graduate and we walked on Saturday. That's so that amazing. was like <laughs> it, it, I was yeah. barely, barely made it through. Yeah. <laughs> so after you finished, um, w- w- so you had one L.A. trip to kind of give you a little bit of a, uh, a kind of taste of what L.A. was like. Um, was what was the... I actually had two. Okay. So I had the first one, and that was kind of like the going into my junior year. Then going into my senior year, I came back out for mm-hmm. you know the same like five days, yeah, and did the same thing again. And so then, um, that one was actually uh, interesting because you know we just stayed at a friend's house. Uh, we had borrowed like the most janky, raggedy car ever. <laughs> um, it was it was pretty crazy, but. Um, yeah, that was just like a a short little trip just to like retake classes, re kind of like, um, figure out if that's really what I wanted to do. Yeah. Was there anybody that you were, um, kind of being mentored by that? Cause I guess, you know, for yourself, you, you didn't even know that the dance industry thing was an option, right? You said that you didn't even know that, that that was a career to be, to be pursued or had, um, so how did you, who did you model or, or who were you getting advice from to be so, like, what do I need to do? Yeah. So uh, the studio that I was dancing with, which was Motion Underground, um, the guy brought out a bunch of teachers from different places. So it was like Mop Top. So he brought out Stretch and Link and Tweet. Mm-hmm. And he also brought out Gary Kendall. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the first time where people were really explaining to me the industry side of things. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, Stretch and Link had been doing stuff before, like Mariah Carey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they kind of were more on the New York side, Mm -hmm. but was just explaining to me the process of, like, what auditions were. Um, And so then I was, like, you know, at that time, just watching music videos every day. Like, I would go home, like, put the little eight, 
hour VHS tape in, record BET because yep. they did like that long block of yep. music videos, <laughs> and just watch those and just trying to like learn whatever was on on the TV. Right. Um. But that was really like all I had as far as knowing what was to expect for Los Angeles. Yeah. But I just knew I had to be in Los Angeles. Mm. So, um, yeah. What what year or how old were you when you made the the official move out here? So I graduated high school. I was still 17. Um, graduated end of May, beginning of June, was in L.A. in July. Um, I had a uh, kind of like a, you know how they have um, the big dance conventions? Yeah. So Motion Underground, we had like one piece that we did at, I think it was LADF. Okay. And then there was another one called Showbiz. And at Showbiz, they had one where it was like individuals go and do whatever. And so I put together like this little freestyle thing to Michael Jackson mm -hmm. and went and put that in a competition. And then from there, they were like, hey, you win this free audition to audition for an agency uh -huh. in Los Angeles. Uh -huh. So as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to L.A., um, went to this audition and it was an all jazz audition. And I was like, this is, <laughs> this is horrible. Like, I don't yeah. want to do this. Yeah. And so, uh, ended up staying in LA. I was only supposed to stay for like two weeks, ended up staying for like maybe a month and a half. I was living in Venice. Mm -hmm. I was living on a friend's couch, basically just waking up, getting like a dollar pizza, hanging out on the beach. And then, hmm. you know, at the time it was like, really hard to get into Hollywood to even like take a class. So yeah. I just was pretty much a beach bum. Mm. And then um, a buddy of mine was like, hey, there's an audition for this agency called Block. It's their first agency audition. They're a brand new agent. Mm -hmm. And so I went to that audition and I booked that. And mm -hmm. that was like, they were like, we want to rep you. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm still trying to figure out like how to get to LA, but I'm here. Right, right. And they're like, well, as soon as you're here, like, you know, you have representation. Right. Wow. So uh, this is now like August. So I moved, went back to Colorado. Mm -hmm. was about to get ready to get all my stuff. And then 9-11 happened. Mm. And so when 9-11 happened, you know, the world stopped. Yep. And um, during that time period, it was like, I'm not sure like what LA at that time meant or like, was it going back? To LA was I'm going to stay in Colorado and go to junior college or figure it out. Yeah. Um, just everything in the world was just, you know, kind of on a break. So um, during that time period, uh, Motion Underground, we were still doing kind of like crew shows. We were dancing for the Nuggets. Mm -hmm. um, we were doing just like random, the most random jobs ever. Yeah. But they were super fun. And then uh, we had an opportunity to perform um, in San Francisco for the Hip Hop Fest yeah. uh, with Micaiah. And so that was, um, would have been November. Okay. So that's when I was like, I'm, I'm going to San Francisco and I'm not coming back. Like, Oh, so I'm, you made, you made the move to San Francisco before you actually officially came to LA. So officially, well, I mean, uh -huh. it wasn't a move to San Francisco. It was just, we were doing the show there. Oh, got it. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm from there. I'm just going to figure out how to get to LA. Yeah. And that was it. Well, I want to talk about the, so when you auditioned for Block, um, what was, what was the I guess the the climate like in terms of industry I guess the in terms of ethnicity wise things of that nature because the reason I ask um, and not to make it about um, ethnicity per se but uh, I think just in Hollywood in general I think there has been and still is um, you know kind of that uh, that stigma that Asian Americans 
don't get the the opportunities or the placements as maybe some other ethnicities do. And so I would imagine in the dance industry, um, that would probably be an even slower start, you know, especially from this is probably the years of 2000, what, one, yep. two, I would imagine you mentioned 9-11. Um, so did you like when you got to that audition, were you just like the one Asian guy or the one Asian face in that whole audition? <laughs> Do you think that's kind yeah. of what made or helped you stand out a little bit? Or I think, um, I mean, definitely during that time, I mean, there were zero Asian Asians. There was like a couple, I mean, there's like Rich and Tone, mm-hmm. uh, there's Simone with the long hair, the that brothers. They kind of pass they for... They kind of pass. Yeah. It was Dino the Funky <laughs> sure. Filipino. Uh-huh. Um, and then Sky Hoffman, he's like a little halfy, halfy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like full Asian males, there was like, I can only think of Charlie Schmidt and I only knew of him until, or, or after I moved to LA. Mm-hmm. But he had done a bunch of stuff and then there was, I mean, as far as like straight males yeah, uh, that were Asian. Okay. And so... Um, I just at the audition, I mean, at the time, especially like growing up in Colorado, um, I was very aware that I was different, mm. but I, I didn't grow around Asians at all. Right. So the idea of being Asian hadn't really hit yet because I was mm. still just trying to figure out who I was mm-hmm. like growing up in an all white community, coming home to a white family with like my sister half black, half Korean, my brother Korean, right. um, trying to figure out where my place was really kind of like all my friends were, you know, either black or Mexican. Right. Um, I mean, I honestly, I didn't even know what a Filipino was until I moved to <laughs> LA. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, everybody just called me Chinese Yeah. and you kind of actually just accepted it because you didn't know any better yeah. growing up in the, kind of that, that culture at that time. And so when I first got to L.A., it was definitely one of those things where I was like, oh, my gosh, there's all these people that look like me. But, you know, they're Vietnamese, they're Chinese, they're Korean. They're all these different Mm -hmm. Asians that I never learned about in high school, nor did I ever see or meet. And so um, the first time at the audition, it it didn't even really hit me. It was just really me like, I just want to be the best Mm. and the baddest motherfucker here. You know what I mean? It wasn't until later on that I really started to understand what I looked like in this world. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and I think like at that age of 17, you're still trying to figure out who you are and, and you know, at that time period, especially without like internet, sure, yeah. you know, you don't see yourself on TV ever. Mm-hmm. And the people that you hang out with and the people that you, you know, connect most with are either black or, or Mexican. They're not on TV in the same light either, but right. you just are like, I just want to do whatever feels good at the moment. Yeah. So... Um, it was a, it was an interesting time. I mean, it wasn't really until like I went to hip hop fest and saw like other Asians that yeah. were dancing yeah. that, you know, I was always I mean, people call me little Tokyo. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> and, and yeah. I didn't even know that that was like a derogatory term right, right. at that time because yeah. I grew up with all white people and I never really so knew. interesting. So, I mean, um, that's really like so the fact that you grew up around um a bunch of people who predominantly didn't look like you physically you didn't think there was anything like weird or whatever with that until you came to a place where like yo there is actually a lot of people out here that look that resemble me a little bit more physically and and then you started to see that especially within like you know hip hop and dance culture out here maybe a little bit more than Colorado at least um, there was a lot more diversity within like ethnicities. And so you started to see like, oh, shoot, like, okay, I, I'm kind of starting to 
like understand my not my place but like kind of how like you said how people are viewing me you know mm -hmm. what i mean so was there a, a point for you that there was kind of like a culture shock ish type moment for yourself oh for sure i mean just la as a melting as, as a huge melting pot right it has so many different cultures and stuff um I mean, I remember the first time I went to Glendale Galleria. And they were like, oh, that's like the uh, Persian Armenian mall. I was like, yeah. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I like, had no idea. And so, you know, when I first got out to L.A., it was just um, really just trying to navigate, one, who I was, but knowing dance is what I wanted to do. Mm. So everything else was kind of like faded in the background. I wasn't really worried about all the other stuff i mean on auditions you would go in and be like oh we want this 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 and this and i always knew that like you know team yellow we were always at the bottom of the barrel yeah but i didn't really make that correlate or make put it all together until much later on um and really is because i was booking jobs right so you know it just was a different Different mentality for me. I just came in and it was like, I don't care. I, I'm coming in to take every job, to yeah. do whatever I need to do to make this happen. It wasn't like I wanted to represent Team Yellow sure. and be like, I want to come in and be the first Asian male to rock with this. It was like, no, I just want to come in and just fucking smash. Yeah, you know, that's great. Um, I had this, uh, we had uh, David So on here not long ago, and um, we were talking about uh, just this topic, right, with... Um, you know, Asians and their representation in media and, and in Hollywood entertainment in particular, right? Um, and, you know, he was saying that people will uh, be upset because, you know, it's like, yo, uh, I'm not getting the same placements as, as this person or that because I'm Asian. And, you know, he said something that was funny, but just very true he's like no you're not getting those placements because you suck <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like it's not because oh, you're sure. asian he's like because i'm getting those opportunities and yeah. i work on my craft you know what i mean and so uh, i i like that um it's just it's funny but it's it's just true it, you know if you're focusing so much on why am i not getting something or why am i not able to your your focus is where your energy is going like you're focused on something that is essentially negative versus a person who's like i'm just trying to kill it no matter what i don't care like what people look at me as i'm gonna go in there and be the best person in the room so you kind of having grown up in an environment where race was not really a, a a thing for you you know what i mean like you said you i mean i don't know you well i mean i knew i was different right i knew everywhere i was i always got the looks ah, you know what i mean okay. i felt it mm -hmm. but i didn't know how to like i didn't know what it was and got i didn't it. know really how yeah. to like one express it or two i didn't have anybody to talk about it with because mm -hmm. if i went home you know everybody at home i mean you know, my sister she spoke english later on and my brother we didn't really get along and mm -hmm. so i didn't really have anybody to confide in about stuff like that because mm. my parents were white so it was like coming home everybody looks different nobody really understands right, what was going right. on and so um yeah no definitely at that time period it's like just trying to figure out who i was yeah and yeah. really it was just i knew i i wanted to dance like i literally put blinders on i mean even the way i got to from san francisco to la like i hitchhiked yeah from san francisco to la which when you say that, it sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I came out, I literally, I packed two bags from the airport, was in San Francisco. We stayed at um, 
Amanda Lucas, which is George Lucas's daughter, wow. uh, <laughs> at her house, yeah. a whole crew. Like, so all Emotion <laughs> Underground, we all stayed at her house. Wait, and who knew, who's friends with her? <laughs> so she danced on Micaiah's dance team. Okay. And so she was a dancer, and so she had this huge-ass house, and we came in town, and we all <laughs> crashed at her place. And so we did, like, that, the, you know, we did our show. It was, everybody was there. I mean, it, the old-school Bay kind of, like, dance crews just were so good. And, yeah. we, you know... It was also a different time where we didn't have internet or YouTube like that to watch or see anything. So it was like, for me, it was the first time ever seeing like other crews at that level right. doing what they did. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it just made me even more hype. But um, even in San Francisco, I was like, I need to get to LA. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I stayed with Amanda for like an extra week and, you know, had zero dollars. I was literally like going down from like, I think I came out with like 150 in San Francisco and hitchhiked down uh, to L.A., and I remember I got dropped off at the corner of Franklin and Gower, and I had $87, Skytel two-way pager, <laughs> and quarters to call people that I knew in yeah. L.A. to crash on their couches. Yeah. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he answered the phone and was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I'm going to come pick you up, and we're going to figure this out. Yeah. But I crashed uh, on his couch for like two months. You know, he just... I got a job working at this crappy restaurant um, across from where he worked and just was like hustling that way. But, you know, my blinders were on so, so focused that it was like even thinking of basic living and moving to L.A. with eighty seven dollars. Like I had no thought process of like maybe I should have a little bit of money saved. Maybe I mm -hmm. should have a place to stay. Maybe I should know, you know, a little something. It mm -hmm. just was like I got to get to L.A. and I, this is the only way I knew how to do it. Yeah. Wow, there's there's a lot to that that um, I think there's a lot to unpack there because um, getting yourself to one leave the comfort of your home that you you pretty much lived your whole life to come to a place where you have no family, no one to fall back on really, right? You know, there's no support system out here. It was like, oh, I could just go live here. It's like I don't know where I'm gonna live. I'm gonna figure it out. You had this, like you said, you had these blinders on, and essentially that's just you being driven by just your ambition at that point, right? You you had this um, make it or bust sort of thing, right? Like yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue this dance thing and uh, I'm going to figure it out. And I think that mentality, um, as far as even me knowing you this many years into where you are now, that's kind of carried you through the whole time that I've known you. So, where do you think, um, like, one, were you always, like, an ambitious kid? I mean, you said you really didn't care too much for academics in school. Like, where where do you think maybe some of that ambition could have come from? Or what, what did it look like before it was dance? Um, well, I think, like, growing up, I always on the outside, like, I've always been the outgoing kind of, like, bubbly fun laughing kid and I think uh you know as you grow older you kind of look back and you're like it just really was me masking and just like trying to get through it all mm. you know and I think when I moved to LA or even in that journey of of finding the process to uh get here it all came down to like dance was like the first time I found something that I was passionate about mm -hmm. so everything else kind of like went out the window it's like I don't I didn't really think that I wanted to uh, 
kind of go through the, the, the process of really finding myself. It was just, mm. I just want to dance, you know, and now I'm kind of rambling, but. No, well, I think like the, the ambition side of it though, that like, it doesn't have to be this, um, oh, my ambition, I was like ambitious about sports and then it turned into, you know, dance. Like it could have, because I think for me and the reason why I ask, because I don't think I was an ambitious kid at all growing up. You know what I mean? I didn't have this like, oh, I was like really good in school and then I was really good in sports. And then I, you know, then I just switched it over to dance because I think I just found the thing that made me ambitious mm -hmm. which was dance well before that was skateboarding like i was like i want to yeah. be a pro skateboarder because that's the only thing that like i seem to care about is skateboarding and then somehow that switched over to dance you know so i view myself as like a a late bloomer or some in some ways i i feel like i kind of lucked out i'm like wow like thank god i found something to be you know stoked about but um i think that one thing that you found that actually made you put like strides and make strides towards like pursuing that thing that brought you out here um and then so from you know hitchhiking you know downstate to you know having just enough money to like eat a couple meals and some quarters to call some people like as much as that sounds like maybe you should have had a bit better plan well, you had a good enough plan to be able to figure it out, you know what yeah. I mean? And I think um, there's there's the people that, you know, have these, like, super well thought out, like, methodical, like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to make sure that after that I do that, I'm going to have this much saved up, and then I'm going to, like, you, you can do that. And then there's the other way of, like, I'm just going to figure it out, but I know I'm going to make it. I know I have to do this, right? And it seemed like you might be on the latter side of that, you know, so you know, you having come out here and then like, you know, crashing on couches to, you know, booking some of the most prestigious, you know, commercial work, there's, there's like a, a, a gap in between there that is super interesting. Cause, and I, I wouldn't even say that that's just luck because you can't, you got to have skills to, to yeah. be able to book the type of work that you've booked. So, you know, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the, the side of you that was kind of the go with the flow and, and I'm going to figure it out to you actually being skilled enough to book some of the biggest jobs and working for the, you know, some of the biggest artists and stuff of all time. Like, how did you, what, what was that gap yeah. like? I think, um, you know, when I was in Colorado and I was, I was like just in the clubs battling kids, like it, put a confidence in you. And I think dance, we have kind of this cocky arrogance about us. And that's mm. kind of what makes us cool as well. And I think I had too much of it, mm. but I think that also gave me an edge because I, w not realizing it, but being Asian, also I had like, my hair was down to here. I had cornrows, I had braids. Yeah. Um, and I was like a little too cocky, a little too arrogant that people <laughs> liked it. You know, because they yeah. never really, you know, at that time, especially like the way Asians were portrayed, were always timid, shy, sure. reserved. Yeah. And to have like very loud, outspoken kid walk in with a do-rag and fitted and walk in and just be crazy <laughs> and you know yeah. it was the first time anybody had seen that and so uh i think you know looking back like of course it was like man you were you were all over the place mm. but that also was a little bit of my edge mm -hmm. that you know allowed me to get there and you know i always say like i i had definitely had the skill but it was never 
the audition was never what I was good at. It was always the performance aspect. Mm. So I would always mess up every audition, but it was the performance of like the small piece where the choreographer is like, ooh, when I get them in rehearsal, I'll be all right. right but, right, right. you know, the actual performance in an audition of learning a routine, I mean, even still to this day, mm-hmm. like if I take a class, like I'm going down in flames. Like mm. it's just, I don't learn quickly, but once I get it, it's like, Right, you know, it's it, it's good to go, but it really was. I had like a little bit, had a little chip on my shoulder, and uh, I, I, you know, I had a skill to back it up. But yeah, it was yeah. all of those things kind of put together at that time period. I mean, Got I think it. the industry was ready for, you know, it was like that Britney Spears slash uh, pop mm-hmm. versus like R and B hip hop um, days and. and I think I like kind of fit right in the middle, um, yeah. And they hadn't seen that yet. Do you feel like uh, timing was a big part of it? Like oh, you, sure. you were at the right place at the right time. For kind of sure, thing? I got the I got the end of the good stuff. Is mm. it, not the good stuff, but the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it was still like that time period where, you know, dancers and music videos were everywhere you know what i mean so every music video you saw dancers or you know there was high production value for a lot of these music videos as well right um you know big tours everything was just based around dance yeah and so um being able to be a part of that time period and catching that uh you know was definitely timing i mean i always say if i waited a few more years i probably wouldn't have been able to work the same because you know just there wasn't it wasn't the same vibes wow that's really interesting because uh, I think speaking of timing, because when I when I had first met you, it was uh, I guess it was probably right around 2003, right around that time. 2000, oh, no, maybe 2003, 2004, because I was like right around when I had I was about to graduate. Um, and then I, I was so intrigued by the commercial dance industry because it just looked so fun. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I had. The artists that I, you know, admired, you know, from the the Ushers to the, you know, B2Ks, you know, and like Justin Timberlake was starting to pop off during that time. And so dance and, and music and videos were so huge. I mean, that was when MTV actually played music videos still. Yep. And I would see you pop up like there's this one Asian dude that like I keep seeing. And then and then you got served popped off and I was like, that's the guy. And like he's <laughs> in there, too. And then, um, and then somehow we met. Oh, because we did that K-pop job, you, you know, Yusung Jun. And then, um, you know, and then I just stayed in contact with you. And then that that conversation that I was having with you when I was at MTV working, you know, I was chatting with you on AIM, and I was just like, "Yo, man, how do you how do you do that stuff? Like, I want to mm. know what do I need to do to get there." Yeah. And I think from my perspective, the reason why I was so hopeful was because maybe one me having grown up in LA and maybe me being very aware of like, yo, I don't know if I, if I can have a place there because I'm Asian. Like I don't Mm -hmm. really see a lot of Asians. So maybe we don't have a place there, but I'm like, yo, but there's a guy that's there and I see him everywhere. You know, you and like, you know, a few, maybe like Harry Shums and all that, that I would see him like, there's a few guys in there. So you were kind of like my, my like glimmer of hope. I was like, (laughs) let me talk to that guy and maybe he could help me out. You know what I mean? And I, 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 to this day, I remember the conversation where, you know, when I was kind of in between like teeter tottering of do I stay here because it's kind of a stable ish job at, you know, MTV, like doing production work 
or do I take a leap of faith and go pursue dance? And um, you you kind of said something pretty simple. You're like, well, is that something that you can do later in life? And I was like, yeah. And it's like, well, it, dance seems like it's probably like a, a right now kind of thing. And I was like, dang, you're right. And like, it was really just that where I was like, man, like I think it's worth a shot, you know? And and I also kind of it wasn't like I was just beginning at the time. Like mm-hmm. I was already heavily dancing, and you know I was doing through college and all that, and like Kaba Modern and stuff. But it was just it, it was talking to you because my perception of you was like, here's a guy that's figured it out. You know what I mean? Um, and whether that's that was like a conscious thing, whether you're like, yes, I figured out the formula, here it is, which I'm pretty sure is not the case is what <laughs> not in terms of what you're saying. But like, you had this skill set that you were confident in is like y'all might not be the best auditioner but i guarantee you i'll smash a performance right and that sort of thing is um you know whether you can identify it at the time as like here's what i have you probably wouldn't have been able to like really even formulate it in words because you probably was just so so a part of you but i think now like stepping back from it that self-awareness that you had of like you know, I may not be the best class taker. I may not get the choreography perfect in an audition, but I do have that X factor of what people are looking for right now. And it's that that performance, whether it be that charisma, the confidence and um, and like and you were consistent with it, too. So it wasn't like you were faking the funk. You know, it wasn't just that you were just this loud dude who had no skill is like no i'm loud about my skill like (laughs) i I know what i'm doing with it you know so um i think it's just really interesting to me that um you felt like uh you were just kind of doing and things were happening but like in actuality there was a there was a consistency of what you were doing you know what i mean and and i think a big part of it too is just like how you 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 said you you walk into a room and you're able to just have people gravitate towards you for whatever reason, you know, and I think that's a huge skill as well, you know what I mean, being a person who can connect with people and and communicate and bring people together. This show is officially brought to you by Kinesthetic. Hop on the store.kinjas.com and plug in the promo code podcast spelled with the K at checkout to get 15% off your entire purchase. We're always trying to bring you guys the illest gear for all your movement in the shadows needs. Follow us on Instagram at kin.aesthetic. Like us on Facebook at kinesthetic.brand. So um, what would you say was like the first sort of uh, major job that you booked, whether it be a tour or project within within the L.A. industry stuff? Um, so the first, first major job I did was a Pepsi campaign. And uh, it was actually um, choreographed by Rich and Tone, but it was all black call. And so um, a good friend of mine at the time who was kind of like mentoring me and, and taking me around and helping me uh, figure things out was like, yo, you need to go to this audition and just go in and just dance. And at the time it was like Harlem Shake, they wanted crumpers and uh, a few, or at the time it was like clown, they called it clown dancing yeah. or whatever. Um, and so I went in, I crashed the audition and uh, I just remember I get a call from my agent. They're like, uh, did you crash an audition? <laughs> and I was super nervous. I was like, oh, man, like this is not good. And yeah. they're like, yeah, I did. And they're like, you got put on a veil. They want they want to put you on a veil. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but yeah, that sounds yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And so I got put on a veil. And so it was a Pepsi campaign. And, you know, that was like my first big job. And from there, it was just like the next thing I knew, I was getting called in for all these music videos. And um, 
it was really just like a lot of background uh, extra work slash dancer extra work, whereas like they just had you come in and freestyle uh-huh. and and bounce. And so that's why I was in a bunch of music videos at that time period. But uh, my first kind of like tour tour was B2K, and I did their first Scream tour. Dope. And uh, it was funny because we got we had to dance for two artists. We had danced for IMX and B2K. Uh-huh. But um, it was like a, a solid squad. It was myself, uh, Craig Holloman, Tyrell, this guy Joseph, and then Troy Kirby and Dante Corday. And we, it was all of our first tours, so we were all super young, uh, kind of figuring things out at the time. We got paid absolutely nothing. We got treated <laughs> like crap. Yeah. Um, but from the outside looking in, it was like the biggest tour of the yeah. summer. I mean, we did. We sold out Madison Square Garden twice. Wow. You know, and, and you know, I'm a kid traveling around the world right. or you know just touring with the biggest artists of the time yeah um so it was a lot of fun but um yeah it was i mean i was super young i was 18 and uh i remember uh that's when i found out i had a daughter so i daughter was daughter on the way daughter not even on the way i found out i had a oh daughter. yeah <laughs> okay so um yeah so tay was born in july and i was on tour um, during the time, I mean, it was the the girl was uh, the girl that I was with in Colorado. Uh-huh. Uh, we had broken up right before I had moved to L.A. and did the San Francisco trip. Sure, yeah. But uh, at the time, I mean, even still, like the cell phone situation was still like um, they had roaming. Uh-huh. So it was like if you weren't in an area, it was like <laughs> yeah, yeah. all these overcharges, even yeah. email. And, you know, we didn't really keep in contact. She had a new boyfriend. I think they... Uh, well, I think I know they wanted to kind of do it themselves and they right. thought that that was going to be the best way to go about it. And uh-huh. they wanted me to be not a part of it at all. Mm. And so uh, I found out while I was on the road and she was born and I got called. I remember I was in Memphis, Tennessee mm. and I got a phone call and I was like, oh, man. And then the first time I actually met her was at my show in Colorado. And she wow. brought Taya, her and the the guy that she was dating, they came to the show and before the show I, I hung out with them for a little bit and uh you know it was super super awkward mm. when I was 18 years old yeah later on that evening I told my parents <laughs> that I had a kid after <laughs> wow. they watched the show um so it was just just like a a young time where you I'm not sure kind of how to react, but you want to be a grown up and be like, oh, I have a kid. I'm grown. I'm on tour. But you're really yeah, 18 years old and you're just a kid. Um, and so it was like kind of going through that motion of tour was my first tour, my first kind of like everything all happening at once. Mm. So from there, it was like, you know, that next year we did You Got Served. And at that same time is when I booked Beyonce. And so um, I was doing Beyonce and 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 the movie and i remember like when i was finishing up with beyonce like i was traveling back home to see uh tay as much as i could mm-hmm. and they were kind of doing their thing i didn't really get to see her that often um you know just i think you go through things in life where you're maybe not best friends anymore and everybody's trying to figure life out yeah and me and her mom didn't have the best relationship at that time but uh you know it was a uh, confusing time for myself especially being an adopted kid sure um and also figuring things out in los angeles and you know just figuring life out yeah you know dude that's a lot man so i mean i can imagine you you said you're 18 
you're young, you're doing some of the most exciting things that an 18 year old could ever experience. You know, there's probably like a small handful, if that, of of 18 year olds that can experience all that back to back and then throw a, a child in the mix that you just found out that you you had um yeah man i can i can only imagine how um processing all of that and um knowing what to do is pro- was probably just one of the most difficult things because i think we also feel like as dudes we feel like we need to have it all together and it's like oh yo i got this you know like you know i'm making money i'll be fine like i I can be a responsible dad and then you know at the end of the day man relationships with people are um the most important things that we have in this life but as an 18 year old you probably don't even realize that too right so uh can you kind of like maybe talk about you know how you you obviously have a daughter where you and your daughter's mom aren't having the best relationship at the time. Um, how did you, I mean, work through that? Cause I mean, from what I know now, I mean, I see you with Tay all the time and, you know, I'm sure there's like a growth process of, of from that place to where you're at now. And, and how did you, um, I guess, figure that out and how'd you kind of navigate through that, like figuring out how, what kind of a father yeah. you wanted to be and how you wanted to be present in her life. I mean, it, it it's a process that at that age, you know, you don't, I mean, I don't think at any place in life you're like, I'm ready to be a parent. But at that time, especially like you're, you're not even sure, sure who you are mm-hmm. as a person, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you become like a father? How do you become a teacher? How do you become anything, mm-hmm. right? When you're still navigating your own, figuring out just who J.D. McElroy right, is, right? right? And so I remember I was back home uh, in Colorado, and this is Father's Day. And, you know, I know I get like a lot of people when they first have their kid, it's like they feel the pride of a father. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually have that because I mm-hmm. wasn't there for the birth. I wasn't there for the for you know the first couple of years and I remember it was uh Father's Day and I'd been going back home uh quite a bit and just like you know getting to see her when I could mm. and um it was a moment it was Father's Day she had like made me a little tea with a bunch of stars mm. and she gave it to me and she was like I love you daddy and at that moment she didn't I don't think she understood what that was right but for me it was like oh my gosh like this is now the moment Wow. And like I remember I like broke down, I started crying and we were at her daycare and like one of the teachers, she was there and she was like crying and watching this whole thing happen. And I mean, like always looking back, like that's like kind of like the defining moment for me mm. where I was like, okay, this is, we got, I got to figure this out, right. you know? And so, um, yeah, so that was when Tay was getting ready to turn two. Um, and that was like the first time where for myself, I really started to like, switch my mental gear into what I needed to do for the rest of my life and for her life. Wow. That's, that's major. Well, let's talk about that then. So, um, what did that do for you? Like you said, like that was kind of a, a turning point for yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting when you like put in perspective of like family and, and what it is to like have somebody that you have to take care of. And, um, I know a lot of people that it doesn't happen right away, you know, and for mm-hmm. me, it didn't happen right away. And it took time for me to process that. Mm-hmm. And so the process also took time, you know, and 
going through kind of like all those motions. And at the same time, I'm still living in LA and I'm still touring. Like I remember, you know, at this at this point, I'm getting ready to tour with Usher, you know, and so I'm going through emotions of that as well as figuring out my life and and you know figuring out life with India as well and um, and and that's her mom. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I looking back now, I mean, you know, I always say like even though India and I are, aren't together, like she's the greatest woman mm-hmm. I've ever met and probably will ever meet. Yeah, you know, for her to be who she is and ha- who she's been, you know, in my life, um, but. It's a process of building relationships again, you know, and so we started building our friendship uh, again as well. And, um, you know, that helped build the relationship with Tay. I mean, it took time for me, you know, even to take her and have her spend the night with me. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a process of going home, you know, constantly to Colorado and finding the comfort level of, of building that relationship so mm-hmm. it, it even though now when people see me and Tay together and they're like oh my gosh you have the best relationship you guys you know are so open you talk about everything you guys you know there was a solid five years of us building yeah. to get there from a place that was where most fathers or families you know they're together all the time where we weren't so building a process of that takes you know a lot of time and it was frustrating on on all accounts and i'm sure you know it looks outside in everybody sees you know us together now and they're like yeah. oh man that's great but you know it's definitely a process yeah yeah um how has your mentality um i guess not well i mean if it's switched or if it's kind of been redirected in terms of what you are now kind of putting your time and energy into like has has uh the way that you view your work life to family life to career like all of that like intertwined has that taken a different path or is it kind of well, still on the same trajectory that you were on before you know it's it's interesting i think everybody kind of in life figures things out at different points and um i remember going kind of like i did uh, a very long stint of dancing with chris brown mm-hmm. and during that time period i think was probably the going into it had no idea who I was thought I did but was like so disconnected with who I was and it was all about everything else that wasn't me mm-hmm. and so during that time period of being on that those that tour during that time with him slowly starting to figure out that's not what I am about anymore mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? that's not mm-hmm. really who I am yeah. and then really taking the time going to therapy going through all the motions to slowly start to pick everything apart and be like, who, who, who's J.D. McElroy? Mm-hmm. You know, and by this point, it's all right, I'm 24, 25. You know, I've been around the world with almost every major artist. I've been mm-hmm. traveling for years, have a kid, have all these things going on, still have no idea who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that process takes time for, for everybody at different places. But for me, I mean, looking back, you can always say like, oh, man, it seemed like it looked like it was fun and it was fun, but I was just like a kind of like an empty shell. Mm. Like I was lost. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like a lot of fluff trying to figure it out, you know? But when you're put in positions of being on the road with major artists and then all the other things you have to, you know, step up to the plate. Mm -hmm. But it was also one of those things where I didn't really understand uh, who I was yet. And so finally kind of finishing up that tour, 
um, I really took some time for myself to like go to therapy mm-hmm. and start to work through being adopted. Um, you know, my whole career has always been me by myself. I mm-hmm. never was a part of a crew really. You know, I had friends, but everything was like solo me. You know, and even with my mentors and the people that I looked up to and, and um, you know, had for advice, it still all felt, it was always just me. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it took time for, it took me a, uh, a lot of mistakes and a lot of fumbles to kind of like slowly be like, oh, this is, yeah. this is what you need to work on. This is how you start to like better yourself rather than it just be all this glitz and glam and fun yeah. and what it looks like for everybody else. Yeah. Dude, that uh, one I I appreciate your your openness to um be vulnerable, man, cuz I mean at the end of the day, man, everybody's everybody's figuring life out and we we figure different things out at different times in, in our lives and for you to be able to um slow down what was happening so quickly for you you know what i'm saying when you're 18 years old booking all these crazy jobs and doing all this really fun stuff you know traveling the world being on stages you know being on screens having all sorts of people praise you for it and and you know be like oh my gosh like you're living the life and and all the while you can think you are but then there are things that are kind of in the background that you never really uh took the time maybe didn't even know that you needed to even take the time to figure out that would start to surface and you know it and then when it comes to a point where you're like yo i'm i'm really not living this life the way that i i really feel like i need to and you know because sooner or later all the noise will start to kind of quiet and then you know at the end of the day you're the one that has to go to bed with yourself and Mm -hmm. wake up the next morning to yourself and um I think it takes a very strong individual to um, to be courageous enough to admit, like, "Yo, I need I need to get some stuff figured out." Because I think stuff like you mentioned going to therapy and all that, dude. That like, I don't know why people think that to to go to therapy is to be like, "Yo, I'm messed up." I'm, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like shame that you throw on yourself. Like, "Yo, mm-hmm. I'm so messed up that I I." finally have to just go to therapy but it's just like no man I I mean I've gone to therapy myself too you know like I think sometimes you just need to help someone bring out certain things that kind of lie in the background of our our psyche and and just things that like have been buried from years of just living life and that you don't even know why uh, that those things are buried down there but to be able to just help you sort through something something I think is actually really healthy um, which actually like now that like, you know, you doing like hashtag lunch bag, like it's, it's something that, um, y- you know, you're, you're giving back to the community and, and, and that, that term giving back to the community can be, you know, defined in so many ways, but you guys are literally making lunches and feeding the homeless, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's great. Um, can you talk about, uh, yeah, a little bit about, I mean, I know, I know a bit of the story, how it was kind of an accident and all that, but like really it, it takes, it takes a lot of heart and intention to keep something that, to keep something going that kind of wasn't intentionally created, yeah. but like there, there is a heart. I mean, your logo is a freaking heart, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So like, 
walk us through a little bit of that process of what hashtag is. Yeah, so hashtag lunch bag. We started Christmas 2012. Um, I was actually getting ready to go on tour with Mariah Carey, and was stuck in Los Angeles for Christmas. And uh, it was like the night before Christmas Eve, and I was out at the SLS. We were having some drinks with me and my friend, and I was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing on Christmas? Like, can I hang in with you guys? Because you know I'm gonna be here all by myself." And uh, we started talking just about like what we could do, you know, charity or, you know, go help out somewhere. And we ran into uh, a buddy of ours and he was like, dude, I used to go to the children's hospital and pass out toys. And so um, we were like, dude, we could do that. Like we can get mm-hmm. Santa Claus hats and everything. So yeah. next day, uh, me and one of the co-founders, Hashtag Lunch Bag, uh, William Smith or J-Dubs, uh, we went to Target. We bought like $500 worth of toys, uh, started wrapping them, went back to their his house and his roommate, which is also a co-founder and good friend of mine, AJ, uh, we just packed everything up and went to the children's hospital. And uh, we walked in, we were all excited to pass, you know, toys out to these kids. And, you know, the guys at the front desk were like, I'll just leave it on the tree. You know, we'll make sure people get it. We're like, no, that's not what we want. We wanted <laughs> yeah, to like experience the, part. <laughs> the part of giving. And right. they're like, dude, it's 9 p.m. You're three grown men <laughs> coming to give toys to kids like you got to go through a process and get like paperwork filled out and permission slips and i'm like oh that makes a lot of sense (laughs) so it was almost kind of like this like anti-climatic like wanting to give and feel that Mm. that gift of giving yeah that we didn't get and so uh the next day which was christmas morning uh we decided let's just make uh a hundred lunches and pass them out uh in santa monica and venice and so uh, AJ woke up in the morning, did some grocery shopping, uh, came back. We played music, champagne, you know, just had a party, yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, started making these lunches and writing little Christmas cards. And uh, just like we do, we posted on Instagram, tagged it jokingly, hashtag lunch bag, wrote hashtag out, making fun of hashtags as well mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. you know, just it was easier than calling it the things that we wanted to call it that were probably, <laughs> you know, not PC. So um, it made sense. And we when we did hashtag lunch bag, there was so many already tags for just hashtag lunch bag. Right. So we just kept it nice and chill. And, you know, we finished that day. And um, it was a really, really nice Christmas day, but really thought that was it. Mm-hmm. And so I left on tour and, you know, we got text messages and like little posts people were asking like you know what charity is this or when's the next when's the next one and yeah for us we were like ooh, that was it (laughs) (laughs) but um you know from that we kind of were like you know between the three of us let's just do this you know once a month for the next year you know just for us to get together do something Mm -hmm. uh, positive And, and same way you know the next month we just were like hey we're gonna do this again if people want to come out come meet us at the house we're gonna make hopefully a couple more a uh, couple hundred more sandwiches lunches and uh you know let's see what happens and so um we did that i was at the time like filming everything with my gopro and so yeah. i made kind of like this little really amateur video yeah. that got reposted on twitter by a bunch of people mm. and so um that next month which was uh february which was aj's birthday uh, for his birthday, he was like, I don't want any presents. I don't want, we're just going to do big hashtag. We want to make a thousand lunches. We'll do it at the parlor. And we had a huge response. And so um, that was kind of like the the start where we were like, this is, this is cool. Um, the next thing I know is like on Facebook, uh, my old soccer coach in Colorado, 
hits me up and he's like, I love what you're doing. Can mm. I do this? Wow. And we were like, yeah, sure. This is what we did. <laughs> yeah. And so he sent us some pictures, tagged it, hashtag lunch bag. It was him riding around in Boulder on his bike. He made 20 lunches, passed them out. Next thing we know, our friend in New York, she's like, we want to get down. And by Thanksgiving, we were in 20 cities, wow. uh, half of the people we'd never met. And it was all just kind of like through social media, but it, it didn't go viral. It was just like organically growing. Yeah, yeah. But I don't even know. It, it just it just spread. I don't yeah. even, you know, yeah. it's one of those things that we didn't know what we were doing. Um, you know, the three of us, we don't have nonprofit backgrounds. Right. But we knew that it was cool. And so uh, the beginning of it for sure was like, we're going to eradicate hunger lunch, low on lunch bag at a time, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, yeah. and I think like very quickly we realized what we were doing had, the food was just the vessel. Mm -hmm. What we were doing was bringing communities together yep. and we were allowing people to come very low barrier to entry, easy way to do something fun and give back. And through that, right, when you do something good, you internally feel good. Mm -hmm. So there's like this selfish component as well. It was mm -hmm. like, if we can change the mentality and we can really type of give this type of love and, and help people integrate compassion and empathy into their daily lives, internally, the world's going to be a better place, mm -hmm. right? And so obviously, like our vessel is food and we work with homelessness, but really we we're just creating like parties with a purpose. We wanted people that normally on their everyday life didn't have this type of opportunity mm. and give them something where they could go out have a good time very easy very fun and yeah. you know that's kind of just how it spread and that's where we are now what was the first uh like sort of big recognition that you guys got an opportunity to like partner up or collaborate with uh, um company so probably about a year and a half in we got to do a wells fargo commercial mm. and the wells fargo commercial stardust and it basically just spotlighted. It looked like, you know, it was part of their done campaign, which was an easy mobile app, mm -hmm. uh, sharing pain and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. But it started off, it looked like, you know, we were about to throw this huge party. Yeah. And then at the end of it, you see that we were really just making lunches and we were passing them out. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, from there, that was kind of like the first time um, that we started working with bigger corporations. So we did like a big kind of sales interacted marketing get together with the Wells Fargo's team up in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And we did like, it's just a small team building hashtag lunch bag event. Yeah. And so that was like the first one with like one doing the corporate event and also doing like a commercial. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was, that was like the first big one. That and they really just cool. found you guys just through social media. And they just, just found us. Yeah. Actually one of the ladies at the ad agency uh, had heard of us and then Wells Fargo, in San uh, in Santa Monica actually did an event uh, with us. They came to one of our events. Mm. And so that was just kind of like, it all kind of matched Still. up from there. How many cities are you guys in now? Uh, we've had events in over 100 cities. We currently have like 40 chapters that are consistent. Um, but I mean, we're, we've done stuff with uh, the U.S. Embassy in South Africa. We have... Uh, events in the Philippines and Vietnam and Buenos Aires and Mumbai, Buena, Barcelona. Dang. I mean, we're all over the place right now. And then, you know, all, almost all the major cities in the United That's States. It. What it, what are some of the like projects that are upcoming for you guys, or what do you guys are you guys currently working on anything? Well, so when we started this, we everything was like a happy accident. 
Um, we had some friends that had just done uh, filed for our 501c3, which is a nonprofit mm-hmm. tax. Um, and so we decided that we were going to do the same thing. And um, we decided to call our, our, our nonprofit the Living Through Giving Foundation. Mm-hmm. And so under our, our Living Through Giving Foundation, our first program uh, is Hashtag Lunch Bag. And mm-hmm. so our goal and what we want to do is build more programs under the Living Through Giving Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, because Hashtag Lunch Bag is you know, the our one that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're pushing that one the most. Uh, but we have other things we want to work with. Uh, schools, uh, one of the big things we talk about is uh, ME, which is mental education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have PE that kids go to all the time. But mm. it's like you don't ever take time to just do whatever you need for yourself, especially at that yeah. age. You know, so and I important. think it's super important, especially nowadays with, you know, an everything that's going on in this world. I mean, mm-hmm. you need time for yourself to really just take care of yourself mm-hmm. and to start that conversation at a younger age, you know, I think is very important. That's dope, man. Um, for yourself now, would you say, um, like, your your vision for your own career path, is it, um, has it evolved into something else? I mean, you know, from doing the dance stuff, to now evolving into, you know, hashtag and the, the nonprofit, like what, what's, what are kind of like your goals and aspirations now? Um, I mean, I'm still, still getting down. I'm working with artists, um, more on the behind the scenes, uh, like stage coaching and, uh, you know, the development side of it, which mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much on the like tour, like, I mean, I'm just not touring anymore, yeah, yeah. but I, I still really enjoy working with artists. Um, as well as, you know, I think I'm 35 right now. Mm-hmm. And if I look at my life in, as a whole, right, I've lived half of it if I live to 70. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm halfway there. Mm-hmm. So I still have a lot of time and a lot of, like, just whatever I feel like. And right now, I mean, definitely the nonprofit space. Not even nonprofit. I don't even want to call it that because we, we, we run it like a for-profit and we, you know, we're trying to just change the world the best we know how. Yeah. It's just a tax title calling it a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. But um, I really enjoy kind of being in this space and uh, hopefully trying to inspire people to do something outside of themselves. Mm. Um, utilize and dance, whether it be, you know, teaching beginner adults how to, you know, step outside of their comfort zone. Or if it's working with artists and allowing them to step into a space of how to become a superstar mm-hmm. and what that really means mentally right Mm -hmm. um and then also you know we do all these corporate events where i get to go in and curate a day of fun Mm -hmm. while giving back yeah um and so i think that you know using kind of all of those things there's not really one thing that i have to decide to do Mm. you know i I think i'm uh, at a place where i can do all the things that i've wanted to do and it's just i have the time you know it's where we're at an age where it feels old because of what we've done. Mm-hmm. But if we look forward, there's, I mean, we, we got a lot of time to do a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, man. Uh, what would you say is the secret sauce to make it? Ooh. I'd be different at different times. I mean, some, some of the sauce that I had, like, I don't think is necessarily what it is for me now, but mm-hmm. for back then, I mean, you know, some I think having like a, a little bit too much attitude was my secret sauce. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but I think now it's it's. I mean, maybe it still is. Mm. <laughs> maybe it still is the same. No, uh, I think there's a shift of what people want to see and want to hear, right? And it's not necessarily um, it, it's being vulnerable, but it's not necessarily using that as a marketing tool. Yeah. But genuinely being yeah. vulnerable and being open. Yeah. And I think uh, the more and more people that you see that have that sauce are the people that are open and they're you know, very genuine in their exerting like who they really are. Yeah. And I think it's important to take the time to figure that out so you have that sauce of who you are. Mm -hmm. And I always say like, you know, in my, I teach a beginner class and, and with the beginner classes, like I always want to see you, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I want to see your personality, who you are as a, as a mover, as a shaker. And I think that is the sauce. It's mm -hmm. like really just figuring out who you are and then how to present that. Yeah, that's that's what's up. It's legit. How do you define success? Um, success is interesting because I think there's so many different tiers to it, mm -hmm. right? Because there's obviously like people will say, you know, being happy is successful, which is is true. But then there's also like the reality is part of it is also money, mm -hmm. you know, and you want to be optimistic and be like, ah, money doesn't define success. Mm -hmm. But if you have no money, then you're going to not feel successful. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not about having, you know, an sure. crazy abundance, yeah. but there's a, a, um, a balance of it all. Yeah. And so I think right now is for me is not necessarily finding the balance of like money and everything else, but just, it, 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 I mean, that's what it is. It's mm -hmm. finding that balance. And that's what I think, for me right now is success. That's what's up, man. All right, dude. I think we're going to lightning round you up real quick. Um, I think you know lightning round format. We're going to fire yeah. off questions and just come off top. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Favorite commercial industry job? Oh, um, Chris Brown. Tour. Nice. All the years. Amazing. What is your favorite food? Anything Asian. Uh no diss except for Filipino food. It's not my favorite. <laughs> I mean, I like it a lot, but it's not my, like, if I have to, like, list them down, Filipino's the bottom hey, of my favorite Asian list, food. bro. You can be <laughs> honest, man. Best era for music. Oh, my gosh. That one's tough. Like, the late 90s. Oh, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. Late 90s. Nice. Best era for fashion. Ooh, I think right now, because right now is like a mix of everything. Wow. So it's like, <laughs> because of right now, you can do whatever and it can be fashionable, whereas yeah. like different genres, it was like so cut into whatever, where now it's like, I go, I go whatever I want. Yeah. And if, as long as you have like the steez to pull it off, it's cool. Hey man, I agree. I agree. Um, what should they bring back? Oh, uh, crystal clear Pepsi. <laughs> Super random. Yeah, I no, mean, dude. that was like, the, you know, that takes the me there. That takes me there. Yeah. What should never come back? What should never come back? What things that I hated back in the day? Oh, that's a tough one. Never should come back. Or something you just don't care for anymore. It's like, yeah, I could do without that. Pogs. 
Pogs. It's so funny. I was thinking about Pogs. Pogs are still, they're kind of fun though. I, I I enjoyed collecting my slammers. Yeah. Um, who's next? Who's like the up and comer in whatever industry? Don't matter. Ooh. That one's tough too. You know what? I like Jaden Smith right now. Yeah. I think he's like good head on his shoulder. He's also like creating cool content. Um, I like where his head's at just as far as what he's doing for the world. Word. Um, yeah. Jaden. That's what's up. All right. Um, dream collaboration scenario. Whether you collab with this person or company or you would just love to see these two come together. Hmm. That's a tough one too. Make we got to narrow it down. We got because now my brain's on like so many. Oh, yeah. How can we collab? I mean, collab? you you can do a hashtag collab oh. or a JD McElroy and whatever. Let, oh man, this one is tough. There's too many. Um. This is not a very good rapid fire answer. <laughs> it's okay, man. <laughs> We're gonna have to come back. We'll have to come back. All right, we can we can put that one on ice. Um, what is your biggest fear? Um my biggest fear. I re- I really don't like spiders with lots of legs. <laughs> like I get heebie jeebies just thinking about them. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's like more of a phobia. So yeah. giant spiders or lots of legs, <laughs> like centipedes. Ooh. Oh dang! Yeah, those are pretty gross. They're pretty gross. Um, do you have any regrets? Yes and no. Uh, I think there are lessons that I could have learned quicker, mm-hmm. um, and not had to take so many fumbles or, or mishaps for me to learn those lessons. Um, but I mean, you know, it's all. It's all part of the journey, yeah. but definitely, I mean, just stupid things that I did that I was like, man, why did I, I do that again mm. for me to have to learn it that many times? Mm. Mm. On that note, if you were able to travel back into time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Um, I think I think the biggest one is is like slowly do things to try to figure out who you are mm. a little sooner. Because, mm. you know, uh, not to get deep into it, but, like, right now my sister's going through her journey, right? And my brother went through his at, at, a, at a different period of time. And mm. um, I think it's great that we all get to go through our journeys, but um, there's definitely things that you can do to help the process move faster. Yeah, And, um, yeah, I think it would have been... I think I would have enjoyed uh, different aspects of my life a little bit better, too, um, if I had a little bit more just under my belt. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. Um, less of, more of. What would you want to see less in the world and also more of? Um, more compassion, more empathy, less complaining. Solid. What is your golden rule? My golden rule would be um, you're right on time. Mm. You know, I think even though, you know, we have 
all these things that happen in our lives. Like they all, it, it, you're you're right on time for where you need to be. Mm. And even like, you know, for what I just said, like, I wish that there was moments that I had learned things, you know, it was right on time. And I know that um, a lot of things that allowed me to move forward in my life, I had to go through all those other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's always been kind of like, it may not feel like it at the moment, but you're right on time. It's all right. Yeah. It's good, man. I think. Um, that's something that I have been uh, kind of contemplating a lot over the past, you know, even past five years. I've been back in L.A. In f- five years now since I left Las Vegas. And, um, you know, uh, me being at the age that I'm at, too, where I think that my life should look a certain way by this time and and I should have certain things in place and certain things figured out because I look to people who are my age around me and they have their situations looking a certain way. So I think there is this this tendency that we, uh, or this expectation that we put on ourselves based off of what we see around us. But it's it's uh, we, we sometimes forget that like my process and my life is my unique process and my unique life. For sure. Um, and it's not supposed to look like this other person's, you know, so along with what you're saying that you're right on time it's that um ability to trust your own process you know what i mean and you can't fast forward uh, however you need to be growing you know mm-hmm. what i mean like just like how a, a kid grows from you know being an infant to an adult you can't speed that process up you just literally have to live mm-hmm. those many years to get to that place and so i think um just from what you're saying man i totally vibe with that and and just the the years that I've known you, man, I've known you for a long time, bro. I mean, well over a decade, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And um, seeing from how I was so inspired by this image I've had of JD McElroy, of like the dude who was killing it in the industry, that I hope that I can experience some of that and that image that I had to now rocking in the same crew with you you know, Kinja's and, you know, the brotherhood that we have and you and I, we, we, we kick it, you know, and we, uh, we have so many, we've had so many times where we've just been able to talk life and, and kind of catch each other at different checkpoints in life too. You know what I mean? Like, and we've, we've, we've seen each other at different seasons and, um, you know, just seeing where you're at now, man, I'm, I'm very one thankful that you, um, are able to articulate just even the things that you're like, I, I don't even really know how to answer that. Like, that's an honest answer. That that itself, because I don't think we need to always have this, like, you know, well-packaged answer for everything. Because sometimes we're like, I, I don't know how to answer that. Like, yeah. like, it just happened that way. Maybe I lucked out. Maybe it was for timing. Sure. Maybe it was the right place at the right time. Like, I don't think everything in life needs these clear-cut, well-packaged, eloquent answers. And, and I think you talking about um, the importance of taking the time to really find yourself and really understand who you are um, and allowing yourself to be patient with even figuring that out. You don't need to do it in, you know, in X amount of time. Like, let your process be your process. But I feel like seeing where you're at now, there is a much, I get the sense of a, a more of a free person, you know, and, and like there's a lot more, um, peace about the way that you're going about things and but 
on that same token, I, I'd like to just thank you and encourage you that you are still inspiring, you know, guys like myself within your own squad to the the artists that you're working with to develop them. Because now now that you're at the place where you're at, you're able to not only give them the 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 performance skills, but you're giving them mentality. You're giving them like hey, like, just so you know, like, it's not all about just this and that, you know, you have to develop, you know, what's up here and what's in our heart and what's really pushing us. So I think in so many ways, man, you are offering much more value, you know what I'm saying, in your current state, you know what I mean? So appreciate that. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming through and, and sharing um, all that. Like, and real talk, this is great because um, a lot of this stuff is me hearing it for the first time, too. And I think that's what's really cool about these these shows and especially like the movement in the shadow show. This really is like it can go from all sorts of like, you know, business entrepreneurs are doing all these crazy things to just most like the most like real things that we go through. You know what I mean? And I think some of the things that I've received in terms of people's feedback is just the honesty and the the vulnerability here because i think there's power and vulnerability there's power in being able to um talk about a personal experience because you don't know who else out there is listening who's going through something similar that just needed to hear that you know yeah for sure and so that willingness is powerful man so thank you for coming through and, and sharing and and just and you're killing it, man. I'm excited to see all the stuff that's going on with Hashtag and um, all of that. I mean, yeah, speaking of which, man, like, uh, you know, where where can people kind of find out what's what's up with you these days, social media and all that stuff? Yeah. Uh, social is easy. It's just my name, J.D. McElroy, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y. And then uh, our hashtag for Hashtag Lunchbag is Hashtag Lunchbag. And then it's all written out, H-A-S-H-T-A-G, Lunchbag. Lunchbag. <laughs> word, but, word. yeah. Got a got some cool stuff coming out for hashtags that we're super excited about, and uh, yeah, I'm glad. I'm just I'm glad to be here, man. Thank uh, yeah. Always enjoy. My favorite thing, honestly, is like I've been listening to these stories, and I feel like we, you know, you know somebody for a certain point when you meet them, and there's a lot of history behind that. Mm -hmm. That you know, just a lot of people don't know or they don't get to have that full conversation with and so listening to these podcasts has been a lot of fun just to like even just the brothers just some of them i didn't even know some of their stories right. on that level yeah and so it's been it's been great to like jam out and listen to these and traffic and, and working out and all that good stuff so appreciate yeah, thanks it, for having me we're, we're doing our best yeah baby <laughs> well on that note <laughs> thank you guys for listening and for subscribing if you are subscribed if you haven't subscribed Please get on there and subscribe, and if this is helping you out, adding value to your life, helping you get through traffic or through your workouts or whatever it is, um, please just share it. That's just the best way for you to help this thing. Uh, make sure you tag us, uh, Kinjas, at Kinjas Podcast, cast with a K. Tag us individually as well. Um, if you um, are listening to this online, then you already know where to find us, kinjas.com slash podcast. Uh, we're on all the podcast platforms from Spotify, iTunes, Castbox, all of that. Um, and please, if this is yeah, if this is helping you out and you're digging it, give us that five star rating. Write us a review, DM us, I regram all that stuff. Um, I've been getting a lot of really just encouraging messages from you guys, things that you guys have been learning from our guests, and um, even suggesting people that you would want to bring uh, that you would want to hear on the show. And we're working on getting all those people in here. So 
Um, thanks for interacting with us and engaging with us. And um, we hope this is helping you out. We see y'all next time. Peace out. Catch your